You're listening to Homestead Gardening for the Texas Gulf Coast Podcast with Kristen Howard. In my last episode, I shared exactly which citrus varieties made it to the top of my list and are growing now in the citrus and herb garden, which citrus survived the 2021 Texas freeze, how and where I grow my citrus, fertilizing tips, and how I protect my citrus in the winter. In today's episode, I'm sharing my top five reasons for storing seeds. Did you know you can get free seeds just by collecting from the heirloom plants you grow in your garden? I always thought seed collecting wasn't worth my time until I found out that the second generation of plants is actually better adapted to my climate. This means the chances are going to increase that my next crop is going to resist pests and stressors and produce more food in a smaller amount of space. So what does this mean for you? Well, hopefully fewer chores in the garden and more time actually enjoying what you grow. There are so many great reasons to store seeds, but here are my top five. First, you learn a lot about nature and plants through seed saving. Seed saving makes you hyper-focused on the life cycle of your plant. Sometimes, seed saving is an easy task. You just collect seeds as you walk by a plant on a nature walk and try them next year. But usually, seed saving is intentional. You know which plant you want to save seeds from. You know when to plant that seed, what to expect from the seedling and plant, and when it's time to start looking for seeds to store. When you intentionally seed save, you actually have to decide at what point you will stop picking flowers or food off the plant and let that part of the plant go to seed. You can't seed save too early in the plant's life because the plant might not be big enough to support both the seeds and the new fruit for you to continue to eat. You can't seed save too late because there may not be enough time for the plant to develop seeds before the end of the season. Second, seed saving gives you an opportunity to have better adapted plants for your property. Seed saving is an amazing way to create a second generation of plants that are best adapted to your property. You can absolutely seed save from any heirloom plant and expect the same plant to grow again next season. However, when you are intentionally seed saving, it is always best to save seeds from the strongest, most vigorous, best producing plant in your garden. Or at the very least, label the seeds from that plant separately from others you've collected to identify the best offspring. This is how commercial growers create award-winning crops. They spend often a decade growing generation after generation of seeds from their best parent plant, to create superstars in the garden that you can actually share with the world. This is what you want to do in your own garden as well. Not only will you have future crops offer you the most food per plant and therefore reduce your garden chores by tending to fewer plants, but you will also be creating a new generation of seeds specifically adapted to your climate and your property. Generation after generation of this practice will increase the chances that you will have the strongest garden in just a few years. My third reason to save seeds is to save money. For many people, this is not a very good reason to save seeds. Most people can justify purchasing a few packets of seeds a year or buying individual plants instead of starting seeds at all. 
but my garden is more extensive and I have huge goals to grow more of my food at home than purchase it. In my garden, I grow no less than 100 different varieties of edible plants. I probably start about 30 to 50 cool season seed varieties and about 30 to 50 warm season seed varieties each year. Then I will buy a few plants that I couldn't grow easily from seed or trade extra plants with other gardeners and have more varieties of edibles in the garden in return. But all in all, I do have over 100 different varieties growing in a 12-month period of time. This sounds excessive, but it really isn't when I consider my space and goals. And I'll expand a little bit more on that later. So what does 100 seed varieties cost? Well, if I purchased every single type of seed variety that I'm growing now, each packet will cost between $1 and $4. $1 for fewer seeds and lower quality seeds, and $4 for rare or high quality heirlooms. So, $100 to $400 would be spent in new plant varieties for the garden. I do try to trade for a lot of seeds, but unfortunately, I usually purchase more expensive, rare heirloom seeds, making seed purchasing a real budget buster. Seed trading, by the way, is the smartest way to get seeds. Even if you buy them from someone local for a low cost, you only need a fraction of the seeds that come in one pack each year to have a great garden. For example, if you buy or trade a few seeds from a local collector, then you will instantly reap the benefits by having seeds that are better adapted to the local area at least a year sooner than if you buy seeds online from somewhere else that's not necessarily adapted to your climate and store seeds and grow the next year. Right now, I'm in the early stages of seed collecting and determining which plants are the strongest in the garden, which produce the most food, and which require the least amount of care to do all of the above without input and action from me. In the future, these 100 varieties will dwindle to hopefully closer to 20 to 30 cool season and 20 to 30 warm season plants. But to be honest, the variety is so critical enjoying the food that I eat, so my goal isn't to reduce the variety that I grow, just to grow stronger plants and grow fewer in less space. Saving money isn't about literally saving money by avoiding direct purchase of seed packets. By saving time on my garden chores, I will have more resources available to work at my real job and therefore be able to make money, not just avoid spending money. By growing more food in less space, I'm spending less money on fertilizer and soil and garden beds and lumber and mulch and compost. And do I really need to continue with that list? Growing one plant costs about $5 to $10 a year, and let's say 5 to 10 hours of my time. Maybe that's a small exaggeration, but it's hard to calculate the incremental costs over 6 months or 12 months of growing. I don't spend money on pest control, but I do have to plant companion plants or do daily visual checks to look for pests or disease, and chores to remove those pests or disease when I find them. I have to keep the gardens clean and rehabilitate the gardens after heavy rain events. The cost to install a new garden or replenish the garden with mulch and fertilizer is a huge expense. So if I'm growing 100 plants, we can assume I'm spending $500 to $1,000 per year and $500 to 1,000 hours per year tending that garden based on the quick estimate mentioned earlier. So if I can grow the same amount of food from one strong, vigorous plant that last year took five plants to yield the same crop, then we should be able to assume, based on the math I gave before, I saved $20 to $40 and 20 to 40 hours to get that same food. Now, this sounds kind of crazy, but it really isn't. 
It may take a few years of seed saving from the strongest plant to get these staggering money and time-saving results, but it will happen. Here's an example of how this realistically happens. In summer of 2021, I planted about 20 okra plants. These were two different varieties. The one variety was called Heavy Hitter, and the collected seeds originally came from Missouri the year before. For months, this was not acting as the Heavy Hitter crop that I was promised. The plant boasted daily harvests, even sometimes morning and evening harvests of fresh okra. But that's not what was happening. I had weak harvests from most of the plants, and then when summer heat hit, the plants finally took off. I was able to identify the strongest, which was only one plant. But unfortunately, the ants found it and started to farm it with aphids. They knew what a lucrative situation they had in front of them. The ants started eating into the pods, and I wasn't going to get any seeds from the superstar. I wasn't going to get any food from the superstar either. I started collecting seeds from the weaker plants, but I had new problems. In Houston, the air is so humid that sometimes seed saving is very difficult. The pods were molding, and some of the seeds were more moldy or rotten, making seed saving a difficult task. I planned to save seeds from these pods in the heat of the summer, but the ants made that very challenging. They were looking for sustenance at that time, and they found it thanks to me. I waited and waited and left that superstar plant alone and checked on it month after month. Finally, in December, I noticed the ants had left a few pods alone. They were nearly dry, but they hadn't split open yet. There was no outside damage from ants or other pests either. The air had been less humid, and we hadn't had heavy rainfall in a while. This was my chance to collect seeds, and I was successful. Next year, I will start growing 10 to 20 okra from just this superstar variety, but I do expect to lose a couple to ants, still have a couple weaker plants, and then have at least 5 to 10 really strong superstars that I can eat and collect seeds from. The goal will be to find ways to remove ant problems from the equation and just have heavy yielding crops. For this plant, I will need to trade my time and money saved from having a superstar producer in the garden and invest in some ant repellent or killer. Orange oil, by the way, is said to be an organic option for killing or repelling ants. It's also really affordable, but you do have to be careful when applying it because the heat of summer, which is when I'm going to need it the most, is the worst time to use it. My fourth reason to save seeds is to have more security and freedom with my food supply. Not many people I meet are really concerned with having access to food. There's a grocery store on practically every corner. And even in a typical work commute, people will pass by at least 10 large grocery stores that are easily accessible from the highway. However, when I think about food, I usually don't think of processed food options. I think of fresh food options. The grocery store is filled with shelves and shelves of processed food, and there's nothing wrong with buying your vegetables in a can or from the freezer section if this is what you have access to. If you take a minute and actually look at a typical large grocery store, you'll find that the size of your fresh vegetable produce section is going to be smaller than the bakery section. Bread has more real estate than the greens. In fact, root vegetables and fruit have more real estate than the greens. For me, this is a problem. I have the hardest time walking out of the grocery store with enough variety of low-carb, low-sugar food options that aren't just meat and dairy, and this is why I grow my own food. You know those 100 different varieties I mentioned earlier? Very few of them can be found in a grocery store. And if they are found in a grocery store, you will pay an arm and a leg for them. And they aren't even that difficult to grow. 
If you are shopping at a grocery store for fresh food, I've noticed Asian stores that cater to fresh produce will have an extensive variety to choose from, or at least a lot more than a typical grocery store. For me, this does mean driving about 30 to 45 minutes to a grocery store for that variety though, which is not very affordable. Ultimately, I get to control my variety and my supply by growing at home. A quick tip on controlling your own food supply is to begin the practice called succession planting. This is the practice of planting some of your food crop a little each week during the growing season so you can harvest a little each week during the harvest season instead of all at once. It's easier to actually eat what you grow if you have a variety of options ready to eat all the time. No one eats a meal of just tomato or just cucumber. You never see someone with a salad of just leafy greens. So succession planting will prevent you from needing to run to the grocery store to grab that one missing ingredient that isn't already ready for harvesting in the garden. My fifth reason for seed saving is to preserve the genetics of heirloom plants. This is actually a real concern. Most of the seeds available for purchase in big box stores, as well as the plants you can buy, are hybrids. Hybrid seeds grow plants which are sometimes sterile or may not produce stable genetics when you collect seeds and try to grow the plant again next year. There isn't really anything special about hybrid plants either. A lot of the hybrid plants on the market exist for a number of different reasons, but one of them definitely is the fact that they cannot be reproduced by anyone except the original grower. They usually have a patent or at the very least have sterile seeds. They aren't necessarily the best seeds or plants for the region either. I'm a fan of making money with repeat purchasing, but there are many times I try to save seeds from a hybrid plant so I could save money next year as a young, naive gardener, and I didn't understand why those plants wouldn't grow again. Sometimes even heirloom seeds that you can purchase in big box stores aren't necessarily the best for your region either. You can rehab an heirloom seed's adaptability to your area over a few years though, as discussed before. But if, for example, you purchase an English variety of cucumber in the Houston area, this cucumber is not likely to be adapted to the Houston heat or ever be able to adapt to that heat. So take care when purchasing plants and seeds, even if they are heirloom, because where they are grown before packaging does really matter for your personal home garden and the ability for that plant to adapt is important to know as well. Seed banks and growers have shortages regularly of popular heirloom seeds, so this makes it all the more important for heirloom gardeners to take the initiative and store their own seeds. Heirloom seed growers are sometimes thought of as snobs, and we are snobs, but we don't mean to act like snobs. We just need our time and money to be used appropriately. But more importantly, we are in the business of preserving those heirloom plant genetics so we can have food year after year. These heirloom seeds come from hundreds to thousands of years of seed saving, generation after generation of humans passing down these seeds. Decades of plant adaptation to the changing climate and environment. Growing heirloom seeds makes me less fearful of political climate change pressures. By growing heirlooms and collecting from the best plants each year, I'm allowing these plants to adapt to the Earth's changing environment. You can't just save an heirloom seed for 10 years and then start growing it again. I mean, you can, but you may not get the same heavy yield that its parent produced 10 years earlier. You have to be a steward and continue to grow these genetics year after year in order to not just preserve the genetics, but strengthen the genetics so the heirloom continues to have a lot of value. I'm sure there are many other reasons I save seeds, but those are my top five right now.
This year, I have devoted a lot of time to seed saving, and at times it was a bit labor-intensive. I didn't always have a ton of time or space to properly do it in, either. I did it anyways, but it was usually late nights hunched in front of the TV when I made that time. The counter has been filled with seeds drying off and on all year, too. Sometimes the wind blew some seeds when we've had the windows open, and there was no point in trying to separate them from the floor dust or dog hair. It's been an event. My husband asked me early on if it was worth the trouble. He didn't see my vision at that point in time. I said yes, but I didn't have a lot of certainty either. My neck hurt for processing seeds, and it didn't really seem worth it, truthfully. Now that I'm planting those first saved seeds, I can honestly say it was worth it. I spent the past six months swapping seeds with other growers, using those first saved seeds to my advantage to gain other new varieties. As far as I can tell, I don't have to buy any seeds for the 2022 warm season crops. I still have to collect my cool season seeds, but that bridge doesn't have to be crossed for at least another month or two. So I actually will start saving money right away by not buying seeds next year. Additionally, I know everything about the plants I'm about to grow. There will be no surprises, which is very reassuring. I'm also only growing the warm season varieties I liked growing last year. I still saved seeds from all my plant varieties just in case, but I won't be planting things I didn't enjoy growing or that didn't produce enough food. I may start some seeds in pots and then make decisions later if I had the space to plant them or just give them away, but those other lesser varieties will not be a priority in the garden no matter what. For example, the Tongues of Fire bush bean produces really neat pink and green striped pods. Those would be a really cool addition to a children's garden bed for children to harvest when they come. But the taste wasn't very good fresh or cooked, and they didn't produce a lot of pods. I think keeping one or two plants for visual interest in photos is fun, but a food crop, they are not. Something else sort of fun I'm doing right now is putting together a super pack of seeds to ship to a family in Missouri. This family was allowed to have a two-acre tract of land for five years to grow food for the local food bank. They are planning to use it also as a demonstration garden for children in the local community and the neighboring community to teach these children how to grow food. The food bank has a chef that is already preparing recipe ideas based on which seeds are being donated to grow food for 2022. So my collected seeds will be going to their property and grown in 2022. Now those seeds aren't necessarily adapted to their area, but they are heirloom, and the seeds can be collected over a few generations to produce more and more food on that plot. Additionally, I offered to design their two-acre plot for them in exchange for some progress photos. I'm pretty excited about that because it's rare I get to see a project progress, and I really believe they will send photos and keep in touch. I also was so happy to get on a phone meeting with them and hear more of their ideas and plans and be able to contribute some ideas for their kids' demonstration garden. All in all, yes, seed saving has been so worth it. I've made awesome connections all over the United States and in the local community. Sometimes local connections with serious gardeners is difficult because we are all super busy in Houston in our gardens 12 months out of the year, but with time, I've made more and more of those connections. Thanks so much for learning with me. I hope today's episode opened your eyes to the world of seed saving. I'd love to hear about seeds you save in your garden or seeds you're planning to save this year. You can also find me on Instagram or Facebook if you'd like to connect and share your garden stories with me. Don't forget, Q&A Fridays are your opportunity to ask questions or ask more information on this episode. 
For seed collecting and saving tips, this week's sister YouTube episode shares how I collect and store seeds. If you're like me and love to read, check out my garden blog. New articles are added regularly, including recaps of each week's episode and reviews of my favorite plants growing in the test garden right now. And in case you were wondering, this episode is brought to you by my real job. As a landscape designer and the owner of HDG Landscape Design, I've had the privilege of working with a wide range of clients and properties in the Houston area for nearly a decade. If you're interested in having a beautiful outdoor living and pool area, landscape, or edible garden, and you don't know how to turn your ideas into reality, consider using professional design services. Design, consultation, and even educational services are available on my website, and you can find all this information in the podcast description.